Hello and welcome to Lady Time, a podcast for those of us navigating midlife. Today I'm talking to Libby Zarka. Libby is an addictions counsellor, a motivational speaker, an education facilitator, a Ho'oponopono practitioner, Louise Hay Heal Your Life coach and an empowerment strategist. Libby, I have met through a community of empowerment strategists in the last two years and delighted to call her a friend. And I'm very happy to welcome you onto the Lady Time podcast. Welcome. Oh, thanks, Carol. I'm really happy to be here. It feels so great to connect with you actually kind of live. We've been doing a lot of Marco Polos back and forth and really gotten to know each other that way, which I really appreciate. And it's something that I actually never thought that I could really get to know somebody on the Marco Polo. But it's interesting when you put the face to the conversation, there's just that that much more of a connection and uh, I really do appreciate it so thanks for asking me to be here (laughs) oh it's my pleasure I'm just I've been so excited that you said yes for ages I know we were trying to get a time to suit both of us and I just fascinated by your life Libby you've had a very eventful life and now you're in a real flow of doing so much and you've got so many projects and they're really interesting and you're based I forgot to mention you're based in Canada Yeah, I am actually in Sylvan Lake, Alberta, Canada, which is just a little small town. Actually, I think we're a city now, sort of in between Calgary and Edmonton, just west of Red Deer. Nice. I am very interested in all your stuff. One of the things you're doing at the moment is you're writing a book. You've written a book. You've just written a book. Tell me about that. Yeah, sure. Thanks for asking about it. So I wrote a book. I guess we'll kind of just maybe back it up a little bit to say why I wrote the book is I am a person who is in recovery. I struggled with active addiction and I've been clean and sober since March, 2008. Um, The last three, yes, (laughs) the last three years of my using, if I was awake, I was high and it was catastrophe like at one after the other. However, I, I can't say that I regret that experience because it got me where I am today. Obviously, I do have some regrets about not being there for my family, my children, these things. But there was a period of where I was trying to get clean and sober. And I was actually in jail for a small amount of time. And during that time, and this was the time that I that I was really serious about wanting to get out of that life and really wanted to change and connect with myself and my family. I can, I recognize that, Hey, like, you know, I had made some bad choices and it hurt a lot of people. And I just knew that, well, I guess I watched my parents change, you know, I grew up in alcoholic home and I watched them change. And so I knew it was possible. Like you could say that at the time I didn't know this word, but they were expanders for me. It's like, I know that it was possible to change if, they can go from the people that they were to these people that are two completely different people um, went from very kind of abusive to the most loving people in the world. I just knew that I could do that too. And I knew that I could do that, but I knew I needed the help of a higher power, a spirit, God creator. And while I was in jail, I read a lot of books that were on people who had these really criminal lives and they were they weren't in they weren't in it for society they were all about themselves and they were causing havoc to society for whatever reason they found a reason to change and the reason that they were successful is because they found god and it just gave me so much hope but what it didn't give me was the tools that they used to get there other than god like Obviously, that's very important. And I know that there is a powerful shift that happens in the brain when you're ready to change. So we need to act on that like straight away. But there wasn't those steps of how how you do it. And I wanted to first, I think it's important to connect with somebody's story before you can just say, oh, hey, these are the things that you have to do to change. So I I get very raw and vulnerable with my story because I feel like that's important Yes. For someone to sort of understand that, hey, 
I went through something similar or I had something traumatic like that. And I used these mood altering substance to kind of block that, but maybe didn't realize it. And then the struggle of the mind, like uh, it's so powerful, as you know. (laughs) And yeah, so I just kind of wanted to have like a step by step instructions of how how to get from A to B to C to D, you know, because, and it's, and it's a continuous journey. It's not like, oh, I'm recovered. You know, it's, uh, it's a, it's not a destination. It's a journey. And uh, we, if we're alive, we're meant to grow and evolve. And if we're not, especially in recovery for one who's staying or trying to stay clean and sober, it's important that we keep on moving forward or we move back, we move backwards. Oh, absolutely. So, so you've written a book based on what was missing yeah. from the books that you read when you needed to read those books. You yeah, put in the practical, uh, the rawness and the, the, the more the how to as well as not just I found God and everything's right now. It's like you, 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 you're filling in the gaps that you saw were there. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was enough to give me hope and inspiration. Yes. yes. I definitely, which was so valuable. I mm. don't uh, un- underestimate, like I don't uh, undervalue that, that hope is it gave me that hope. And without that, there's not a, ne- there's not a next step. And after, after I left jail and I stayed in the homeless shelter while I was waiting to get into treatment, is where I kind of learned from my mistakes on how to stay, how to stay clean while I was waiting for treatment. So these are some of the things that I talk about in the book and people can find, if they want to sign up for a copy of the book, they can just uh, go to my website. Yeah. And it's just livyzarka.com. It's pretty easy to find. (laughs) Great. And I'll put that in the show notes. That was that rock bottom was jail rock bottom or was the place, the hostel? Um, I, my rock bottom, well, I've had a few, I've had a few okay. bottoms and I always tell people or like, how do you, cause I, I, um, was addictions counselor at Poundmakers Lodge where I went to treatment for uh, many years. And, uh, since then now I, I run my own private practice and I do contract work for them still. So I'm still very involved in that community, which I feel very appreciative for. And so I, over the years, people have asked me how do I know when I've reached my bottom? And I just tell them you quit digging because there's always another one. Like there's always another one. For me, I guess uh, it was waking up and I wouldn't say that I, I, when I say waking up, it wasn't that I was sleeping and I woke up. It was just that I, I had an awakening and I'm in a room surrounded by people who were using and I'm getting, I'm right there with them. And something came over to me. Cause like when I was, when I was high, I just, I didn't care. Like I really, uh, it's quite vulgar, but I just didn't give a fuck about anything or anyone. Like I had no feelings. It, it was numbed me right out. And it's uh, really sad to think about. And the reason why it's sad is because I think of how that might make my children feel when they hear this, but it, it was the honest truth. And all of a sudden I'm getting high and and it's like, it was like this overwhelming rush of feelings that came to me. And I, and I was like, Whoa, what is happening? I, and in that moment I realized, wow, like I abandoned my life, my family, my career, my children. And it was just like a flood that was so powerful. And in that moment, I just wanted to die at first while I thought, Oh, maybe I need, I need some stronger drugs. So I was afraid of needles. And so I just, I just wasn't willing to go there, but I did consider it. And I thought of death. I thought, yeah, I'm just going to kill myself. But I was really afraid that I would just end up a vegetable and wouldn't actually die. And then the next, yeah. The next thought was, you got that fear. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, the next thought was I can, I can get help and God will help me. I can ask God and God will help me and I can, and I can start over. And 
I would like to say, and in that moment that I got clean from there, but I, you know, the, the last three years, like I said, of my using, if I was awake, I was high and I didn't sleep much, you know, sometimes I'd be up for 28 days straight. Like, uh, it's like no sleep, just like, it is insane. And so my mind needed a lot of healing, a lot of healing. So I didn't, I just didn't have the tools that I needed to stay clean, but the desire was definitely there. So jail was just part of my journey of the journey. Yes. And, uh, it was, it kept me safe for a while. You know, I was quite happy to go, to go there. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. So, so you didn't take drugs in jail did you or was there was that there was that an option uh it's it's definitely an option but uh I don't know anyone that would feel like that was a happy place to get high like I don't know it didn't it didn't like yes of course you know I'm in a I'm in a cell a pretty confined space you're uh well I mean I went to a series of jails but Calgary we're pretty much uh 23 hour lockup and then Edmonton uh Edmonton jail was I think uh you're out for six hours in a community but people I knew were doing drugs there but it's not like I mean there's guards watching you and stuff but it wasn't my desire anyways it wasn't my desire when I was in there I was very safe in there Mm -hmm. and to go that's great to go back to that moment of awakening sorry the the rush of emotion, the rush of overwhelming emotion, and then it's like you had three choices. So you 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 became aware that you had choices. You had to get high again, or to kill yourself, or to to get help. That's amazing that those three options came up for you at that time. Yeah, and I think, like I said, I. I I knew my parents did it. And so I knew it was possible. Yeah. You know, I applied for treatment and I actually spent, I made it to detox and I spent 28 days in detox. And honestly, I just wanted, it was, I would never want to go through this again. I wanted to just pull my hair out. I I wanted to get high so bad. It was just, uh, it, it was a, really very uncomfortable feeling and I actually ended up getting kicked out of detox because I I was using my cell phone to contact with my to contact my family and then I you know I had a few relapses after that but the still the desire was was to get was to get well and every time that I Every time I wanted to get well, like it was very strong. I was very sincere, but I kept finding myself relapsing again. And at this point, you know, I started sharing with my family and my children. Oh, I want to get well. I want to get well. But then they kept seeing me fall and fall and fall. And so pretty soon my word meant shit. And they just kind of gave up. They're like, yeah, okay. And I don't blame them. You know, like I can only say these words so many times. But in that moment, I felt like. I was very serious and this is what I wanted to do. I ended up in Calgary and I was, uh, had a treatment date. I went to this treatment center and they do a drug screening before you can enter. I failed my drug test. And so they, they dismissed me. So, well, they didn't let me enter. I found myself like, they gave me a bus ticket and here I am walking around Calgary. It's snowstorm. And I didn't uh, have anybody I could reach out to then. And I was, I didn't actually know how long I'd been sleeping or awake or anything. Like I was still very disorientated and I found a place to sleep and the police actually came to, to get me out of there. And they said, what are you doing? Like you're scaring the old people. I had fallen asleep in the lobby of an old folks home and I said, can you just take me to jail? Like I have a warrant out for my arrest. And this particular officer said, I don't take people to jail who want to go to jail. And he took me to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, okay. He took me to, you know, he said, you look like shit. Are you just, you know, are you coming off of crack? And I said, yes. And, and he dropped me off at the homeless shelter. And I didn't know this place existed. 
it was like a huge building and there's people outside using and I was getting offered drugs and I just go, I just go into this place and I walk in and there's on the second floor, there's probably a hundred tables with some people sitting around it, some people sleeping. And I just found a chair and I put my head down and there I was like sleeping before I know it. Some guy was uh, telling me you need to line up for a bed ticket if you want to get a bed. And so I just kind of went through, through the motions. And the next day, I met somebody asked me if I had a job and I said, no. And I guess you could get a temp job. I went to this temp job, just cleaning shelves at Superstore. And I met a girl there that I, and I told her that I was trying to get clean. And she said, oh, well, if you get a counselor, you get up on the fifth floor and then you can have a safe place. It's zero tolerance up there and get like you can volunteer within the organization and so she's telling me all this stuff well that night we got paid cash and to me money was drugs so off I went that night and I I relapsed but I found my way back to the drop-in center and I waited to talk to a counselor and I talked to the first one and I said yeah I I need help I'm trying to get clean and he kind of he had glasses on and he he peered over them and he looked at me and uh, he said, I can't help you. He said, maybe she can as this other counselor. So I got up and I went over to her and I, you know, I said, I'm, I need help. I want to get clean. And she said, I can't help you. And I started to walk away and I don't know where I was going, but I, I could see the back of me as I'm walking away and it looks very, it looks very sad. You know, I like I didn't know where I was going. But then all of a sudden she said, wait, I can help you. And she got me to come back and she got me up on the fifth floor. And from from there, I got to volunteer uh, in the organization. And I actually ran into that first counselor that turned me down that said he couldn't help me. And he didn't recognize me at first. And he said, wow, he said, you know, when you came into my office, and I took a look at you, I didn't think that there was any help in you. He said, like, you looked like you were beyond help. And I think that that's really kind of sad because I feel like we do that a lot as a community, as people. We take a look at someone and go, oh, they're beyond help or um, they just don't have it in them or we're scared of them. And that's kind of that's kind of what I've noticed where with people like we you know, we say, oh, they're an addict or they're a recovering addict. There's a lot of stigma that goes along with that. Yes. And I, I feel like it's about educating community because I'm pretty sure that we could all have or know somebody who struggles with addiction that probably could use some help rather than some judgment. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And listening to you talking is so good because you rarely hear what you've just said. Well, I haven't heard. Let's just make it to me personally. I have rarely heard somebody say about. I have heard someone say they were in jail. I have heard someone say they were on drugs. But that story of, you know, being rejected and, and sent off and and actually how you relapsed. It's it's very it is very raw and it's great to hear because it's making. Yeah, it makes the addict personal it, it makes you relatable when you were an addict you know to, to to know those details is important I think because I do I do agree I think a lot of people just shut down when they see somebody they say no they're too far gone I don't know what is it that, that people can't can't look at or can't be mindful to is it that I don't know there's a lot of I people think some are, of it yeah, I mean, I think some of it's legit. Like, I feel like, yes, you know, desperate people do desperate things. And mm -hmm. when we're in active addiction, we won't think twice to steal from our family or to rob the store or to get whatever we need to do to get that next drug. However, when a person is asking for help, that is an opportunity for people to actually do something if somebody doesn't want help then then yeah for sure i mean probably your best probably it is in your best interest to stay distant from them but when somebody is actively seeking help that 
they're in, in that time in their life, they want, like they already feel so uh, shameful and so guilty about their life that they just want to make it right. They just want to make it right. So, so I do understand uh, where it comes from. However, I think we just need to be mindful to have those resources accessible when a person needs to, because when someone needs help and they want it, like in that moment, if that help's not available, then they're just going to keep using because we're in that same, that same environment. And I feel like that's definitely where I was at. I couldn't pull myself out of the environment I was in and I can't get clean in that environment. You know, after I realized, okay, to me, money is drugs. Obviously, I can't have money. I still need to get into treatment. I don't know how to stay clean and sober yet. So I thought, well, I'm just everything that I need here is basically at this homeless shelter. And if I just maybe keep busy volunteering and, you know, I, I have a place to stay, I have food. And if I can just keep busy here and not use, then I think I'll be, I'll be okay. So, and that's what I did. I found myself a little routine there, but as soon as I left that that fifth floor, I mean, I'm surrounded by active addiction. So I go, I have to like walk through my demons to get to the safe place every night, you know, at seven o'clock at night is where I could be in this place that was safe or zero tolerance, where I'm talking to the counselors, where I'm building a community. Um, I'm using the phone to contact my family. So slowly getting in touch that way, there's a computer there. So, and at the time I was just getting Facebook. So my kids had it. And so talking to them that way as well, and so I had to figure out ways, okay, so, and we had to leave the floor like six in the morning. So I'm like, okay, what can I do um, to stay up here longer? And so I asked the counselors, can I stay up here longer? And they're like, no. And I said, well, um, I can help clean. They're like, well, all we have to clean is the toilets. So I'm like, I'm, I'll do it, you know? So I scrubbed toilets for an hour while while everybody else was gone, then I could that extra hour kept me safe up there. And then I could go down in the donation department to help volunteer there. So from seven till three in the afternoon, I was there in a safe place. And I actually, in that, while I was doing that, it gave me, I guess, like it, it gave me some of my worthiness back. I felt like I was needed. I got to organize these donations and sort them out in the, in the front of the store there, make it really pretty. Also, when people left the homeless shelter, when they had their own place, the drop-in center would give them these packages for their house. So I got to make those packages. And I'm going through donations and I'm trying to make uh, sets like matching sheets out of mix match that was just like here and there but I would make them match even though they weren't matchy matchy and I took a lot like I don't know it was really nice to put these packages together and people come pick them up and so it gave me like purpose something to do and it felt really good and then from three to five I was able to volunteer where the showers are and I'd scrub out the showers and some of the uh, really old people couldn't reach their toes. So I'd cut their toenails for them, stuff like this, you know, just to, just to keep busy. I actually, <laughs> it was kind of funny because one of the staff that was working there, I was always mopping floor. Like I'm, I'm, I was busy and he would always tell me, stop doing that because if you do that all the time, then they're going to expect that that floor is supposed to be clean. <laughs> so you know, I was showing them up. It was, yeah. And then <laughs> I still had a couple more hours before I could go upstairs. So I talked to the kitchen. Hey, can I like volunteer? So I was in there scrubbing pots and pans from five to seven. And then seven o'clock, I could go up and I did this every day until I could get into treatment. And there was a day where I went to go volunteer in the clothing department but I couldn't that day for whatever reason uh nobody was going to be there it was a holiday or something like this and the guy that was there he gave me uh five dollars and a coupon for a subway and he said just go relax enjoy yourself and I and I had an upcoming court date 
uh, in Pinocchio. My family was going to come get me and all this stuff. And so I thought, well, I'm going to walk down. I'm going to go get a Subway sandwich, go for a walk downtown Calgary. And as I was walking, I ran into that first counselor who had uh, turned me down. And, you know, and that's when he had said he didn't recognize me and stuff. And I told him about what was coming up. And he said, be careful. He said, usually addicts will relapse or something when something important is about to happen or when something good is about to happen. And I said, why? He said, because you're an addict. That's what that's what happens. Um, sure enough, anyways, I ended up relapsing that night. Um, but it was only one night and I found my way back again. And uh, same thing, you know, I was beating myself up pretty bad. But the same fellow, says, you know how you're more serious about your recovery is when your relapses get shorter. You know, the my relapse before that was four months, so one month. So all these things were like I'm hearing or are positive. So everything that I, I learned from, hey, you know what? Like we sabotage, something good's happened. We sabotage. There's a reason why um at those meetings we get those tags 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, because they keep us like something to hang on to, something good, because it's in though it's in those moments where we're at risk for relapse is when it's high risk. And actually every year, right around my one year birthday, I go like my mind gets a little bit cuckoo. And what I mean by that is like, I get a little bit restless. And it's just that our, we have memory, like our, we have those euphoric recalls. And so it just makes sense that this is happening. And once I recognize it and go, okay, this is kind of a normal feeling. It's, it's nothing new, then I then I can reassure myself and sort of calm down. Yeah. So it's it's interesting just by acknowledging what's going on, it will ease itself or it doesn't have as much power. Yeah. So so the body does hold memories, doesn't it? And that's what you're saying. So that meant so that's interesting. So around your anniversary of your sober anniversary, is it? Yeah. Yeah. That, yes. That, that just that feeling that could be something that now obviously you're you're sober such a long time now and you're very 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 well but it, it could be a tempting time could it that that feeling that brings it up oh Maybe sure especially years. yeah oh definitely I I uh it's not uncommon that you hear a lot of people you know have 10 years sobriety or 15 years sobriety and then they're having a drink and then you don't see them for years or they don't make it or they go back out and they overdose, you know, because they maybe whatever, but uh, it's easy to go, Oh, I got it licked. It's not a problem anymore. And for sure. I have these thoughts. Uh, I still have these thoughts because if I didn't have these thoughts, you probably wouldn't be an addict. You know, I still think sometimes about, Oh, maybe I could drink or maybe I could use. And then I just go, okay. There's that addict mind talking and doesn't do me any good. And I also know that the only way I could ever really make amends to my children is not to ever use drugs or alcohol again. That is the only way I can make amends to them. Like there's no amount of stories and there's no, there's no, nothing I could say. It's only what I do that can, that can make that. I wouldn't even say okay, uh, but it that's one way I keep them in my life today. And I'm so appreciative of the relationship that I have with my children today. They're my best friends. They love me. I love them. And I I don't know how, but I got the most amazing children in the world. And it's I'm not even biased. Like I mean, obviously I am, but they're just so kind and spiritual and open and loving and like I can really learn a lot, obviously, from uh, my daughter Courtney, who was who's been in many accidents, and then the last one just about took her life. And through all of this and her pain and not making it, she's still the kindest person I know. And she just clings on to the fact that, hey, I'm alive. Yeah, I went through this, and you know, she's still going through it with her reconstructive surgeries on her face. But she's through all of it, just so happy to be alive and her zest for life. Um, she, they teach me so much, you know, they teach me so much and they're always just so willing to grow and 
and learn. And my daughter, Stephanie, uh, what an amazing mother she is, you know, having an autistic child and doing everything that you can to make sure that child has the best life, whether that's, you know, speech therapy, the interactions that she does with her, the sport she puts her in, the how she lets her express herself. Uh, you know, it's just amazing to me how amazing they are, like young women. It's I'm, I feel very blessed for sure. <laughs> you Absolutely. know, and I have, I have, yeah, I mean, I have grandchildren that, don't ever have to see me use, you know, yes. and uh, that, that, that's a blessing right there for sure. So you, you were apart from the kids then for a while. What, what age were they when you were using, what age did that all, or, you know, when you went into treatment and mm -hmm. so, so for, I guess, you know, I've always kind of used, but I guess I was a functioning addict for a long time where it meant like I was a weekend warrior. I worked hard. I partied hard, you know, like that, that mentality. And from the outside, it looked like perfect. You know, I had a nice house, husband, three children. We did things. We had nice things. Um, but there is this, you know, this underlying stuff that never got addressed to like that I was stuffing. And I didn't know that at the time that I was trying to run from my own self and bury my core wounds, uh, but it just progressively got worse. And then it was, I guess, my my second divorce there, like with my with my second husband. And Whitney was eight, and Steph would have been, or Courtney would have been thirteen, and Steph would have been fifteen, and for three years, I, they kind of really, I was, I was gone, you know, like, I mean, they might've seen me the odd time and when they did, it wasn't good. So yeah. They're, so they're it, around their teens, preteen and teen. Yeah. 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 Eight. Yeah. And then, cause, uh, cause Stephanie and Courtney are from my first marriage and then Whitney from my uh, second marriage. So there's a bit of a, a uh, little bit more of an age gap there with them. But Whitney was 11 when I got clean. And then uh, Courtney was 16 and Stephanie was 18. But, uh, you know, and that that's that's a really crucial time in their life to be to be without a mom. And even then, when I was coming back, there was still it was like I kind of felt like I I didn't have a right to sort of be in a be a mother in a way of like to be telling them what to do or anything like this I was just hoping to at least be their friend and with Whitney I got to see her all the time the other the kids were you know Stephanie and Courtney were a bit older so they were off doing their own thing with their friends but I was very appreciative for the time I did get to have with them when they sh when they showed up Whitney she never gave up on me you know, because she was young still. So she, kids are pretty resilient until they get to probably that age 12 or 13, you know, they don't give up on their parents until that age usually. So I was fortunate for that because I feel like if it went for one of them sort of cheer me on and really loving me that I might not have seen a use to, to keep going forward. And then Steph came around pretty quick too. It was kind of after I left treatment where she was, I was actually surprised how quick she came back into my life. And then with Courtney, it wasn't until I was going back to school and kind of had my own own place. I was out of the aftercare. And that's when she really started to believe in me. So it, when it was almost two years after and I just kept hanging on to that. And in that moment is when I like felt complete, you know, like it was like once she accepted me, it was like, okay, there's this that hole that got filled up, you know, with each child. It was like a, a like something filled me up. Yeah, it was amazing. That is amazing. It sounds like that the experience of an addict, that the, the shame is, is a very big part of that experience and guilt and not feeling worthy, like, like all of the, which are huge feelings to, to, to deal with. How did you then recover? Well, 
I feel like it was through the ceremonies. Like I went to an indigenous based treatment center and I'm not sure if I could have forgave myself enough and kind of sort of started to heal some of those core wounds if it wasn't for those ceremonies, like in the sweat lodge, where I really did a lot of work. And obviously, I had amazing elders and teachers, and I'm just so blessed for that experience because I really in like my first sweat I was able to forgive myself enough to keep moving forward I mean I didn't look up for a while you know I still looked down and I still couldn't uh, look at people for for a good while The, the shame was still there but I hung on to I hung on to that relationship with my children and I just figured well you know if maybe if Stephanie and Courtney because I knew I had Whitney she was there for me I thought well maybe if Stephanie and Courtney can't forgive me maybe one day they'll have kids and I can be there for for them and I just sort of hung on to that and hung on to those little things or those experiences but it definitely it was through those indigenous ceremonies where I was able to release what was no longer serving me and then through the other work with my counselor and prayer that I was able to start to fill myself up with with God's love basically honestly like I I did a pretty solid step one two and three when I was in treatment and I did not know what was going to happen once I left but I just knew as long as I did the next right thing that God would look after me. I just knew it to my, like, it just, it, it embodied my entire being. Like I just knew without a doubt that I would be looked after. And I didn't worry about financially or where I was going to stay or anything like this. And I didn't even have two nickels to rub together, you know, but I just knew that I was going to be okay. And I, there was no scarcity at all. It was like, it was remarkable, honestly, because when I was basically, uh, you could say the lowest point in my life with, with, with unclear or uncertain future, yet I felt so secure. And I have to remind myself sometimes like the more I get filled up with life and good stuff and materialism and all these things like and I really take a look at my life today like I'm truly blessed you know I don't want for anything I may I'm in a position where I can even like help help my family when they need it and what an amazing feeling that is and sometimes I I get this fear creeps in and I have to remind myself hey you know you are looked after you know you're as long as you do the next right thing everything will is just fine everything falls into place and just to to keep trusting i feel I feel like that is my greatest asset is trust mm. oh, and it's huge isn't it it's such a great asset to have to yeah have trust. <laughs> wow you know listening to you i know you know cuz i'm a counselor too and i have been for years i know that 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 place where someone is in addiction chronic addiction and they don't fit into the the homeless shelters or the treatment centers and 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 the risk around all of that is is so huge that it's 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 a very very tricky space to be in and and you just had well, your children obviously were the desire for you to to get better, but the, to know that you, if you volunteered, keep volunteering was was such a great survival mechanism, and then to end up in a an indigenous treatment center, wow! So they have these ceremonies. I'm hearing about these ceremonies uh, from other people as well. They're healing. They have sweat lodges. They're healing. They're Purely Indigenous, I presume. It's Indigenous people holding the ceremonies, is it? 
Yeah. So the reason why I picked that treatment center is because for my 21st birthday, my mom bought me some medicine cards and I really loved the teachings. I talked about the shamans and the animals and just, I loved how everything was so important and so valued and each creature to the next and how, yes, maybe they took this life, but they thanked it. And you know what I mean? Like it was just so beautiful to me. So when I was looking for a treatment and I thought, wow, there's a place where I could go and actually learn more about this. Like I thought that was like, that stuff was, had died thousands of years ago. Like I, yeah, I was very ignorant to the whole cultural, cultural part about it. I just knew a very small piece. So I was very more than excited to go and get filled up with the spirituality. And it wasn't until that I actually, during treatment, I still didn't know about residential schools. It wasn't until I was going to school to become addictions counselor that I found out about the residential schools and all this stuff. And that's a whole kind of another story, but I was just so blessed to have, uh, yeah, um, it, it is like there are el elders in the community who have been practicing these ceremonies for years that they've learned from their grandparents. And even through the residential schools where that cultural was cultural piece was stripped from people, some people still kept it going. Some people they had like a, I guess you could say like an underground world or or whatever, but like a lot of culture was lost for sure, but some people managed to keep it going. And those people, thank goodness, have passed it on and passed it on. And so uh, from, from my understanding, you just don't call yourself an elder. How you become an elder is you get that passed down. It's like a, a passage of rites of passage and you have to earn that. And then once the community starts calling on you for the for this um, to help healing, that's what makes you an elder is the work that you're giving into the community. Um, and I don't pretend to know much about it because it's not really my my place. However, I know what I've learned and the teachings that I have changed my life. And I still practice these today, like with the smudge. And I, I know that it works because... I use it, <laughs> you know, and yes. I've seen other people, I've seen other people really do some remarkable things with, with uh, those, through those ceremonies and really healed. And I know my one elder, he said he worked in corrections for a long time and he would take people who were criminals basically, and he'd take them and they go fast you know, for four nights and four days and do this ritual. And then they go through these series of ceremonies and they come out and never to, never to reoffend again, you know, like change people. So I, like, I know I, it works and uh, I'm forever in debt and I'm just so blessed that I was actually able to also go to work there too. Like I was employee at Powmakers for 13 years and now I'm not employee like on the, uh, however, I'm, I'm still a part of it, like through my, you know, doing contract work with them. And we recently are getting, you know, buying repossessed homes and changing them from like a drug house to a recovery house. And that's just like with what I'm doing in, in the town of Sylvan Lake now. And it's because you know, here I'm in this homeless shelter trying to stay clean. And here I have the thing that's really helping me besides everything that I'm doing towards my best to stay clean and learning from my mistakes. I didn't know that's what I was doing at the time, but that's what I was doing. I had Whitney cheering me on, you know, and she never gave up because she was still young and full of hope. And that's the whole reason that I have created the pre-treatment house and it's Whitney house because not everybody has a Whitney, you know, like it's, it's wow. very, 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 yeah. Like it's very challenging to stay clean and sober surrounded by active addiction in a homeless shelter, you know, however, I, I managed to, to get almost two months 
clean and sober before, before I even went to treatment because of the things that I was doing there and because of Whitney. And so the house that I have is to bridge that gap because the average stay in detox is five to seven days. And now it could be two to four month wait to get into treatment. And I know as well, it's just from my own experience that when you want help, if that resource isn't available, probably you're going to go back using again, just like I did. And it's not because you want to, it's just, it's, it's, if you're, if you're in that environment, it's going to happen. There's just no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Like it's, um, it's almost, it's not impossible, but it's, it's very, very, very hard. And so that's what this place is, is to create that safe place for people in between detox and treatment. And it's also preparing people for treatment because I know the struggles I've had, I had, and then not only going to treatment, then what do you do after? So it's getting people to think about afterwards as well. And we need, a, depending on how long you've used for the amount of drugs or anything, you are physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually bankrupt. Like you need rest. You need to vitamins. You need food. You need like your body is starving nutrition. So many people I've watched them gain so much weight, which isn't healthy either in, in recovery because you're so malnourished that no amount of food can fill you up because what your body is just craving vitamins and minerals. And so I want to uh, also be able to provide that for people here as well, like fill them up with nutrition, vitamins, whatever they need to get them well enough and healthy enough. And create opportunities within community where people can volunteer because I know in doing that and giving back, that's what really filled me up and gave me enough uh, self-worth to sort of keep on moving forward. And not everybody has a healthy family either to connect with. So building some connections and community, some people, because I mean, honestly, the opposite of addiction is connection. And we all need somebody to connect and relate to. And we can't do it alone. The only way we can stay clean and sober, or like stay that mindset is, is helping another person do it. And so there's lots of people who, who just want to be able to do that, but it's creating that bridge or that relationship or introducing those connections, you know, so people can, can be successful. And then there's also the whole issue of what are you going to do after? Maybe people aren't educated. Maybe they are. Do they need to get relicensed? Do they need to go back to school? Like, do they have any job skills? You know, some people grew up in homes where they weren't taught even how to clean themselves properly. Like it's a, it's really from one extreme to the next, however, but I want to create a space where people feel comfortable enough to learn these things and not have to be shame, be shamed about it, you know, and then also get community involved where they can come and be a part of this. Cause it does just like, it takes a community to raise a child. It takes a community to help a struggling addict. Absolutely. Oh my goodness. That, that is such important work and what a lovely dream. And you are doing it. You are creating that space. It's so moving and it really is so moving to know that you're doing that. And you really are like you have the Whitney house up and you're just waiting to get the license for it. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I'm actually pretty excited. I've had a lot of people reach out to me on Facebook, on Messenger and say, hey, I saw your post. I know what you're doing. And maybe they went to, they, some of them went to treatment as well at Palmakers. And now they've got their social work diploma. They're going back to school. They want to come volunteer. And it's just really great. Like there is the other side too, where some people are nervous and scared. They don't know what that looks like. But for the most part, there's all this background support that I'm getting. And I just couldn't be happier. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So you're super busy now and you're really well and you look so beautiful and so well. Like there is no part of you that looks like you were on crack at some point or you were in prison. You're like 
the picture of wellness. I get that a lot. People's like, you don't look like you were ever in active addiction, you know, and it's like, well, there's a lot of people that don't, you know, we can, uh, yeah. Sometimes people ask me like they just can't believe like some of my friends that I got out of it like where I where I was and I and I sometimes just think I don't know how I got so so into it in a ways you know what I mean like I understand it but it's just like it's like a frog when you put him in lukewarm water and you turn it up one dial at a time it'll actually boil itself to death but if you put a frog into boiling water it's going to jump right out and that's kind of that's how addiction is it's just it's so gradual that well yeah we let our we let ourselves boil to death it's unbelievable to me it's uh it's quite it's quite wild to think that i was in this whole other world yeah but i'm i'm just so appreciative and grateful that i did find a way out and that i do have a relationship with my family today and that i can help other people who are going through similar situations or that and I can I can be that person to show them hey it is possible and I can uh, help you through it if you're willing to uh you're yeah you given me and I hope our listeners so much hope around addiction and that there is a way for people to 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 get out and to be well and to be really well you've done you did the empowerment strategist course that I did you've worked on your core wounds you've you've done ho'oponopono you've done what do you call the indigenous the 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 workshops or the the events powwows oh yeah yeah well the powwows are basically a celebration it's a celebration like a family event where you just go really you celebrate your achievements and the successes I think that we can as a society not only we can really focus way too much on the deficits of indigenous people and the deficits of addicts and all this but really we don't we don't celebrate enough the resilience and the strength and the achievements of recovery. You know, we always used to do like a sober walk and uh, addiction, national addictions awareness week and stuff like this. But now we're, we're gearing more towards uh, recovery and celebrating recovery and just uh, highlighting that, Hey, this is possible. Like we have, we're very fortunate, like in Alberta where we have, you know, um, chief of staff, um, Marshall Smith, right? Like he, he, he is very free and very open about his journey of addiction and recovery. And it's through him and him talking to government and the work that Powmakers does and Oxford House and now Whitney House, that community is really recognizing that, hey, you know, look at that person. That person's in recovery. You know, and more and more people are speaking out about, hey, I'm in recovery and uh, feeling very proud about it instead of like, oh, I'm a you know, I'm a recovering addict. No, I'm in, I'm, I'm recovered. I'm in recovery. It's a journey, you know, there's not a destination forever evolving. Yeah. It's so uh, important. It's so important because I I do remember, you know, when I started work uh, with people like 30 years ago, people would whisper, I'm an addict or, you know, they would, they wouldn't tell the outside world about their addiction because they were afraid of the stigma even if they were recovered and sometimes people wouldn't get a job if they put down in the the application if they were asked do you have addiction so if you're in the healthcare system and if they put down the true answer sometimes in my country they wouldn't have got a job I don't hopefully that's changed Um, I know in England they would have got the job so it depends on how society and culture has evolved even though like so many people in my country have addictions, whether it's alcohol or drugs. So, yeah, it's it's like great on people saying, yes, I'm recovered. I'm recovering. Well, you probably can never say I'm recovered, but recovering and, and own it and be in a position where people are happy to look up to them and say, yes, they are. Uh, I can be like that, you know. Yeah, I I definitely could. I definitely feel like I can say I am recovered, recovered from a hopeless state of body, mind and spirit. You know, uh, I see 
recovering because I think our personal growth is ever, ever growing, right? Like it's ever evolving. So I don't want to ever say like, oh, I'm fixed or, oh, I got this or, you know what I mean? Like I always want to be evolving to the next level. And I think that's too, when I found JJ, I was going through uh, some definitely some struggles in my, within my own self. And that whole program gave me another next level of growth, you know, and just same with the the program of uh, the Louise Hay program that I took and all that. That's another next level. And like, I, I feel like uh, there's always another level of growth and there's always, and what a, what a wonderful um, opportunity to meet people like you too, right? Like if it wasn't for me entering that program, I wouldn't meet, I wouldn't have met you. And I know that you helped uh, a lot with uh, even just the healing that you sent Courtney when she was going through her, her near death experience, you know, well, we feel like she did actually, she did actually die and come back, you know, and you were a part of that. You reached out to me and like, Hey, I'm here for you. I, you know, on the other side of the world, but you're here for me. And that just meant so much. And with all the other girls in the group and how we've stayed connected. And I always tell people, you want to connect with people and meet some good friends, take a course of your interest. And, and I always share my experience with, with you ladies and how that like, we don't, we have never met in person, but here we are for each other. It's, uh, yes. it's amazing, really. Yeah, it's really neat. Oh, it's incredible. And it's there's some something really special about meeting people who've been through personal work together. We know that we've done we've dove deep into working on ourselves. And that's the level where we've met and and connect and continue to connect. And it, it is amazing. And you are such an inspiration to all of us that meet up on that group. Uh, you really are. And I, you're just going in the little amount of time that I know you a couple of years, you've you're going from strength to strength to strength. You're just expanding into this ever amazing circle of expansion. Like you just keep expanding more and you're you're really it's great to, to watch your progress and expansion in, in the little time that I've known you. It's great to know that you've finished your book and you're that's the next thing that you're you know you're gonna be, you know, promoting and your your Whitney house, like that's just evolved in the last year and this new house that you're doing on Sylvan Lake and you know there's just so many different projects it's so exciting I'm super excited for you yeah it feels really good to just allow whatever the next right thing is you know and just be open to that space and not really overthink it too much and it's interesting that I feel like I've heard you say this on the Marco too and I've really appreciated it more so for my own self in the last little while is like when I look back over my life each thing that I have done and all the experiences that I have has brought me to the next place and where I see myself sort of evolving and where my purpose is growing without all those other steps, I wouldn't be where I'm at right now or be able to be so diverse in what I'm doing, like as far as being contracted for this job and this job and this project. And, and then also give myself enough freedom to uh, promote and still do my own projects that I feel passionate about. So I just, I honestly, feel really blessed and I feel like the more I trust the more things just sort of flow and and just happen naturally you know without sort of clinging to clinging to anything just once I'm more open and not clinging to one specific thing then it just allows more opportunities to flow in and I feel like that's I feel really blessed to be in this headspace <laughs> right now it feels good <laughs> I actually don't know if I know anyone who is as positive as you, really, in, in, in <laughs> how you show off. It's it's really, really is inspirational. I could talk to you all night, uh, but yes. um, <laughs> we, 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 we probably shouldn't keep talking all night. But I could. Yeah. Um, it's been so amazing to have you on. And um, thank you so much for your courage, for your courage and for your honesty 
for your vulnerability and for your inspiration. Thank you. Thanks, Carol. I love you so much. I love you too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, thank you. So you have been listening to Libby Sarka and Cara Fitzpatrick talking on Lady Time. If you like what you're listening to, please let your friends know and please subscribe to whatever podcast platform you're listening to. Thank you. We'll be back soon. Bye. Bye.